Okay, Joda, when I say the following statement, Ray Kurzweil's Law of Accelerating Returns and ChatGPT, what comes to mind? Cautionary tell. Cautionary tale. Yeah, yeah, probably, right? So for those of you who don't know about Ray Kurzweil's uh, theory about the law of accelerating uh, returns, it means that basically technology is going to advance exponentially until we reach uh, what is called a singularity. And the singularity, he defines it as a technological change so rapid and profound it presents a rupture in the fabric of human history. And I think with the uh, onset of ChatGPT and all the other AI uh, tools that are coming out or agents that are coming out, uh, we're, we're seeing a, a major disruption in human history. Would you agree with that, Joda? I think it's, it's – it, it, I mean, it's apparent. I mean, that we are seeing um, radical changes. Um, actually, one can argue this is just perhaps uh, – another stitch and a long line of automation that has radically changed us um, both quickly and slowly, right? In a weird way. So yeah, 100%. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I, when we were preparing for the show, we had a brief conversation about the nuclear bomb and how that radically changed the dynamics of the world. And a lot of people who might listen to this podcast uh, don't remember the Cold War. I look at it, some of our demographics and they tend to skew a little bit younger <laughs> than us, which is yeah. surprising. Yeah. Um, but um, but uh, so they might not remember the Cold War and what that was like. We were born in the midst of it, you and I, Joda, and that threat, that constant threat of nuclear annihilation hung over us. We had to... Um, practice barricading ourselves other and had uh mini series like the 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 day after which depicted a nuclear strike and people's flesh rotting off their faces due to radiation poisoning and oh man it was a horrible time to be alive (laughs) but (laughs) i'm I'm being a little bit extreme because i want clicks and make sure to (laughs) subscribe and like us um but in a sense it also that the nuclear age changed the the geopolitical climate of the world right and one could see this change with the rise of ai and i think it's interesting they call it the ai arms race having a similar impact on on the culture politics economics every aspect of our lives and what it means to be a human being yeah uh, agreed. And I, yeah, and we did discuss this yesterday and uh, kind of thought of the idea of this chat GPT and specifically I'm referring to that, that release um, because there had been chat GPT three, four, five, and we've been working in AI for a while. Many of us have actually engaged with forms of AI for years. I'm sure with some of the help mechanisms that you've dealt oh, with, sure. I'm sure you had phone calls where you're like, is this a robot or is this, what am I talking <laughs> with here? You know, Robocalls, yeah. so, you know, we've been dealing with, uh, again, a sort of a slow integration of AI into our world, but chat GPT did feel like a, a proverbial nuclear bomb. And again, I, I don't, I don't even mean it in like, like, an objectively nuclear bomb, an objective nuclear bomb, the one like sitting back and watching Nevada bomb blow. Right. That was, like, ah! that was true. A bomb did go off. Um, but this one is very subjectively does feel like a nuclear bomb. You know, people have, it's opened their eyes and it could just be the the hot topic for the day, but I, uh, I don't know, you know, and there, I think it's a good, it's an interesting analogy to think of this as the, as a, as a, as a grenade going off and what are the ramifications and we're, it's opening well, up a I think lot of also, conversation. And getting back to that accelerating returns, we're to extend that metaphor, you know, that initial bomb, that initial explosion of AI has set off a ripple effect, right? And we have these advances in AI happening almost daily, right? Yeah. You have ChatGPT, and then you have Bing uh, and the bot that's been inserted into its search engine. You have Google coming out with uh, theirs. Apparently, Facebook and uh, some others are coming out with uh, some other versions of AI. And then um, I just heard about uh, recently this Auto GPT. Have you heard of Auto GPT? No. 
Yeah. So auto, it's it's a, it's a tool that you can build yourself. You have to have Python to build it, and you integrate it with the Chat GPT um, thing, uh, website or agent, and you basically create your own customized assistant agent with this auto GPT, and you can set it up to do a series of tasks. Like, uh, for instance, you could say, I'm planning a vacation out to Napa, Can you? and I'm bringing my kids, uh, and my wife has uh, these conditions, like she's a vegetarian. Can you plan a trip for me, uh, and here's my budget? And the auto GPT will take all of those variables and plan a trip for you by searching the website, finding good locations that meet your criteria within your budget, and come up with a, with a plan for you. Uh, and so th- that's an example of how this, and this is new. This is like within the last few days mm. uh, that this new tool has just emerged. And I think it, I, my I, my belief is that it more emerged in a kind of open source area. Um, but yeah, it's 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 advancing very rapidly. Did you just do breaking news, Dan? Was that what that was? We had a breaking news. I don't know if it's breaking news, but it's something I just heard about in the last day or so, and I'm just like, wow, that's. And the podcast I heard it on was talking about this acceleration as well. Like every time, every day, you turn around and there's some new manifestation of this AI that's disrupting things. Yeah, and I have an, I have I have some thoughts on on that concept, but. Um, can we take a second, um, just just a quick second? So, because AI is a is a is a loaded term. Um, yeah, I'm going to argue that we should not call it artificial. Well, let me and and well, sure, right? We, it, it's uh, what did I call it the other day? Um, constructed intelligence, you know, or, or okay, something I like constructed. Yeah, but 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 without having to change the term, we'll just you know, AI is is an extraordinarily loaded term, and 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 I think. There in the world of academics, there's this kind of a definition in AI, but then again, probably not. Um, I'm gonna just sort of run through some concepts here real quick, just so that we kind of understand um, the levels of mental pro- of processing, a computer's processing, and then we can just we can leave it behind. But just what is you know? So what is AI? So let me just rattle these four things off real quick and give a quick under- understanding. Well, I think I know what you're gonna you're gonna rattle these off, but I think we should go a little bit deeper than what. But go for it. No, we will go deeper. I just want to kind of level set on. And then yeah, let's expand on those later. If, if there's something interesting you want to talk about, let's do it. I just let me just kind of kind of run through these things. And so these are four things. I didn't invent these. I found these on the web. Um, and, but these are sort of four categories of of, of AI. Uh, the first one is called reactive machines, and that's those are just machines that react to the system. And and they're qualifying that as AI, but we've had those for hundreds of years, right? I mean, a, a system mm-hmm. uh, that reacts against some sort of signal outside, right? Or it can be a mechanical, digital, um, and has no memory whatsoever. It just reacts. And examples of that that uh, they write down would be, well, here's more modern versions, but self-driving cars, voice assistants, industrial robots that perform specific tasks, right? Like that arm that picked that drills in a hole into a wall or whatever. Then there's limited memory, which is something that actually holds on to information and uses it to do to 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 analyze or to kind of um, plugs it into its which algorithm. Which GPT does. It has some limited memory. Yeah, I think it does. I, and I'm I'd be curious what what you know where that lands. And it almost seems like there's short-term memory and long-term memory, right? If you look at the whole algorithm and the the lang- the We'll get into how ChatGPT is constructed, but there is this base of knowledge that you could say, well, it's long-term memory for it. And then when you're in the chat and it's able to make refer back to previous parts of the conversation, isn't that very similar to short-term right. memory? But, but I think that you can, again, from programmatic perspective, you got to think of like like memory space in a program. Limited memory that the memory actually is expunged. It's gone, right? Like the digits okay. are, are wiped away, right? So it could be short or long term, but at some point in time, whether it's 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 short or held on for a while, the thought is that it gets expunged and so it needs to be replenished in one form or another, right? So I think limited kind of contains that. And and it uses okay. examples of personal assistance, recommendation engines, and fraud detection. Um and then there's this notion of theory of mind, which um, AI theory, which suggests that the machine actually sort of knows 
um, recognizes that you're 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 the, the machine knows that you're a thinking thing, <laughs> and it is able to make decisions based upon that. So it actually recognizes that you're a complex, dynamic organism. Um, I, I have I'm highly skeptical uh, of that because that that right there is inferring that AI is conscious. And I'm not sure it is, right, in, in the way that we think about human consciousness. Because theory of mind is really uh, an idea that comes out of research and philosophy on human consciousness. Like when I'm – in order to interact with other human beings, we have to have a theory of mind that infers – like when I interact with Joda, he is a conscious being with a personality and preferences and biases and loves and hates and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. – yeah, so I'm not yeah, sure I, if I buy. I, I I totally dig it. I, I agree. Yeah, for 100. And and to your point, it, it suggests that I'm gonna now I'm gonna be reading directly from it. It suggests that uh, this includes recognizing beliefs, intentions, desires, emotions yep. of other agents in order to predict and understand their be, their behavior. So it doesn't have to be human mind either, right? It could be an ant mind or something like that. But it, it recognizes that that you're it's a complex and yeah it, it's though, though getting into predictive analytics right when you think about it well maybe the algorithm is trained to see us as certain data points and based on those data points can it predict or and we know there's some evidence around that right but just because you can predict doesn't mean that you understand this says that it understands yeah. the theory of mind right somehow like it knows like it models you like it models a human brain somehow and it recognizes that just because i can predict what you're going to do doesn't necessarily that can be heuristic right i can look at a bunch of hey, we can get into that um and then finally there's self-awareness right so we got reactive minds which just reacts it, it doesn't know anything it's just a, it's, it's 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 simplistic limited memory it takes in some data but eventually it seems to will expunge it or not can hold on to a, a, a huge breadth of memory and theory of mind it actually understands and we're talking about artificial intelligence um recognizes the entity is there and can can understand the beliefs intentions and desires somehow it models that and then there's self-awareness the machine itself knows itself is alive um the last two to dan's point are one questionable as to how we would get there because we have a hard time understanding ourselves and what mind means two there are no machines that do that now as we understand it Three, they are both active areas of interest and yeah, people are I, trying to figure it out. And I want to put a finer point on what you uh, just said, Joda. I think that is really key to our fear of AI um, is the mystery of it because it is reflective of us. And it really draws to draws attention to the fact that we don't understand our own consciousness and we don't understand how our own minds actually work. Yeah. Lots of theories, a lot of data, but there's really no conclusive theory of the mind yet for human beings. And yet we are constructing these artificial frameworks or, or tools or agents that are kind of reflective of our intelligence, whatever that might be. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I mean, there's not even, I mean, to get to your point about wanting to baseline things, we don't really have a clear definition of what intelligence is, really. You know, I actually used uh, the the big bot to find that out today. I was like, so what is the intelligence? I got <laughs> right. like 15 different definitions. Yeah. So uh, it's one of those fuzzy terms. And I'm sure some experts on, uh, cognitive theory and neuroscience and intelligence studies are going to say, well, no, this is what it is. But, I think there is some fuzziness to what does it mean to be intelligent. Oh, I, I would. There's absolutely. I mean, there are people. There are people you will meet out in the world who will tell you, "I know what intelligence is." Right? We all know people who just have this very clear definition of things around them. But I think good people. No, I don't want to say good faith, but people who a good amount of people out there know and recognize the fact that. Um, First off, the notion of intelligence is is self-referential against us. It's it's got a confirmation bias because we're the ones who defined it. Um, so, uh, to and be certain, little- and certain people uh, to take a more um, critical lens to that. Certain people in our society defined what intelligence is from certain positions of authority and power. Yeah, yeah. I'm just in in general the concepts of intelligence. You know, uh, even Socrates back in the day when he was doing his analysis, you know that those are all derived from this monkey. Um, that 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 is very self-referential and anthropomorphizes just everything, right? Um, so yeah, I think tele- intelligence is a, is 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 fuzzy, subjective, funky, um, and 
I think some subjective is the key thing because what what does intelligence mean? And I think intelligence has several contextual meanings that one could say exist simultaneously, right? Like and there's yeah. this notion of us being rational, intelligent creatures, meaning thinking creatures. But we also use the term intelligence as being smart, right? Oh, they're intelligent. They can do something well or something. So it gets quickly and quickly. So I think there's multiple layers of meaning that we, it's just, again, like AI, you're already starting with intelligence being a funky, fuzzy word. Now you add artificial to it, and like you're to your point, That's I agree. Fuzzy too. Yeah, I don't think art. It's is it really artificial? I mean, one could say we have organic intelligence, right? Because it's coming out of the organism that we are 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 embodied in, and that bring, brings into that con- brings in the concept of embodied intelligence. You know, how much of our uh, intelligence is really connected to our actual how, bodies? How about selective pressure intelligence? Ooh, that's was- interesting. Right, because that's where intelligence derives from, right? It, it's if you leverage a Darwinian perspective, the intelligence is coming out of selective pressures, and so yeah, it's yeah. an intelligence manifest of this of of Darwinian's notion of selective pressures. Yeah. We had to develop whatever intelligence we have through the pressures of the environment we had to survive in, and you know we've talked about this on on this podcast before. Again, because of the acceleration of technology and civilization, our organic adaptations probably have, or not probably, for sure have not kept up with um, the changes happening around us culturally and technologically. But I think it's an important thing to think about, you know, what when we're talking about intelligence for an AI bot, what does that mean? Because it is a reflection of our human intelligence. And I would argue part of it is pattern Pat, you know, our, the ability to see patterns because really what AI, the chatbot, the, the language models are, are statistical machines, right? They're, they're designed to um, statistically determine what the next word is most likely to be in the sequence of words or the next yeah. phrase. At its most basic, that's what it's doing. So if you type in a search like, you know, um, write a review of the Sense and Signal podcast or summarize the Sense and Signal podcast, it'll go in, look at that data, and then start to piece together um, its response based on a statistical model of of what is most likely to to make sense. Didn't you right? already do that? Um, you did that, didn't you? And didn't we I think we got our, our first good review was from ChatGPT. We've got mixed reviews from ChatGPT. Our oh, first okay, review okay. was very good. Our first okay. review review was actually pretty good and then I did another one. It was like, ah, it was funny. It was the, it was the um the MSN um uh Bing, Bing bot. Yeah, Bing bot. The yeah. Bing bot. The Bing, I like to say Bing bot, the Bing bot. <laughs> um, so the Bing bot said about one of our episodes, like, no, you know, this is too academic. I'd find it boring. I, I like to watch more um, entertaining uh, and engaging stuff when I'm uh, watching podcasts. Wah, and I was, like, what? I was like, wait a second. You watch podcasts for entertainment? He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I do all the time. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and that's, but, a, that's, a, that's another, that's a real quick Real quick thing to take note of, you know, is that just because what you're engaging with, the, 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 the system you're engaged with is able to pretend to communicate with you, again, doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from a, a, a place of, of intelligence. You know, you can, again, to your point, do statistical analysis of language and respond statistically that will be sufficient in a conversation, but there's no real thought behind it, right? But Maybe that's how we do it too. Who knows? Well, well, no, we can get to that. And I think we should get to that when we start talking a little more di- deeply about intelligence and statistics, right? Because yeah. that is kind of how our minds work when you think about cognitive schemas. But to they call those those reactions like I just described in the um, Bing bot as a, a hallucination, right? But it's also interesting, like when you're using the Bing version as opposed to Chat GPT three or four, that you could set the the tuning of the the bot. So I think I was in more creative mode yeah, I when saw I was that. getting that response. Yeah, and there are other ones that's kind of more neutral, and then one that's very what does neutral. That mean? Very did you bland. read? Did you read up on that? Like I saw that. No. I'm like, what does more creative mean? Does it going to be more poetic? I mean, from a from a practicality perspective, I'm wondering what those levers mean. Well, I think um, I have found I can only say 
I have not researched it, but I've experimented with it. My observation is the creative responses are a little bit more in depth, a little bit more playful, um, and and a little bit richer, honestly. Hmm. Um, like I will, as an, an, an less resistant to doing certain actions. Like so, for instance, if I were to ask for a review of the show in one modality, it might like push back and say that's not what I do. But the creative one will do it. Um, so there's certain tasks, like if, if, if your initial um, attempt at doing something with the bot doesn't work in one mode, try a different mode. And again, we're talking about Bing and go to the creative mode. And it seems to be a little bit more flexible in what it will do. Okay. So interesting. that's interesting. But yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting that it sees patterns and it's statistical patterns and i was listening to a lecture by uh stephen wolfman uh this week um wolfram yeah uh, computer scientist and mathematician and he's working on his whole uh computer language too um his he also argues that um the, the 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 models are picking up on logical patterns too uh like syllogisms um and for those of you who don't know syllogisms are kind of a logic model aristotle um um kind of used them to create the idea of metaphors right and talk about metaphors but uh for instance a syllogism would be socrates is a person uh, hold on all people are mortal is the first premise the second premise socrates is a person therefore the conclusion is Socrates is mortal. Um, and an well, interesting and, and one. There's, there's a, a mathematical representation or notation that's A equals B, B, was it A equals B, B equals C, so therefore A equals C. So it's kind of reductive to that point, yeah. Yeah, I, I off-boarded all my math thinking to my phone a long time ago, so perhaps that's true. Yeah. But here's one, here's an interesting syllogism. Um, I actually had the bot write this for me about AI that might be an interesting point here. So the major premise is all machines that can think are intelligent. Minor premise, AI is a machine that can think. Conclusion, therefore, AI is intelligent. Okay. But but what is thinking, right? That begs the question, what are we talking about when we're saying, is it really thinking? I'm not sure. It's, yeah, um... Yeah. So, uh, you know, Max Tegmark, you and I are talking about this. Max Tegmark, because of these questions, because we're not sure of the answers to these these questions, or at least, I mean, perhaps the people who are creating this know these things. You know, we're kind of, some of us are flying blind on the outside. Max Tegmark, who's a famous American physicist, many of you have seen him on shows. He's been, he's been on Discovery Channel and stuff. He's one of the guys who does the circuits. He's actually uh, written something where he's asking us to where people, other people have signed it um, to say, let's put a pause on AI for now, for six months, he says. Can we stop working on it for six months and ask ourselves, what what do we want from this? What are, what are you know, what, what's, the, what's the point? Um, and it's yeah, interesting. No, and I think it is, it's an interesting conversation. Um, and I think, I think let's go there right now. We can come back to some of the um, thinking and philosophical aspects of of this of this AI technology in a minute or two. But I think there is a larger conversation around regulation that we need to have with it. I was listening to the All In podcast about this uh, actually this morning, and that's an interesting podcast. If you haven't uh, checked it out, I'd recommend it. Um, and they were talking about the the. That premise, like, should should the government intervene to say, okay, we don't really understand this technology. It's promising to be highly disruptive. Dangerous things could theoretically happen if we don't regulate it soon. But what are what are the what are the dimension? What are the positions within that argument? And one side is, well, if you get government co- to come in and set up like an FDA type organization to review. Uh, these technologies before they're released to the public, that's going to slow things down to a crawl yeah. um, is one side of the argument. Um, and then other fa- other forces like other countries uh, or 
companies in other countries are going to get uh, ahead of the United States. So there's there's that impact. The other uh, piece of the argument is there's also this idea of self-regulation like that is done in Hollywood uh, with the rating system. And so can the um, the powers that be working within this space get together to come up with some sort of plan to self-regulate this. Um, but regulation is, is uh, it's, it's something that we need to think about because it is a, a scary thing and a disruptive thing, but I don't know where I land on that. I'm kind of leaning to self-regulation myself. I think that that would be the first first step um, if we could trust the, the companies involved in creating these platforms like OpenAI uh, to to be good faith actors in the self-regulation process. Yeah, I got a couple thoughts on both directions, both thoughts. And I think partially they're false dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy, right? Something in the middle is probably more realistic uh, or something else purely. Um, sticking with the notion that ChatGPT was Nevada back in, what, 1943? Um, um, that, that is the bomb that went off. Um, you can understand the need to have some sort of oversight, um, for this thing. The, the, the blowback from this explosion was just, is just being felt now. And I have a feeling the capacity and capabilities of these machine, these mechanisms are going to ramp up astronomically now what we see today is going to be nothing what is going to be a shadow of what we're going to see just three four years from now um it could easily become an uncontrollable bunking bronco um i agree with elon musk on that because it, it, it's it potentially has the capacity to be self-building, self-correcting, self-adjusting, because we're building it to be as such to be intelligent well now, it, it, to that that the the um what did I call it earlier? The auto GPT is that's part of one of its features is that it, uh, it does in, uh, engage in recursive learning, recursive right? so learning, it'll update, it'll update its protocol for the actions that you've asked it to do based on what it learns through the process. Exactly. And that, and that's only going to be and there. And you're not going to stop people from inventing, from creating. That's the, you know, it's just going to happen. So you've got to, you got to figure out a way to harness the the reality that this is continuing forward. Does that look like an or a, com- a country or a uh, individual states putting regulations? Well, they did with nuclear arms to some degree, right? You didn't, you can't as a organization or a company just go and start building nuclear fission things without being regulated, right? Um, and you can argue that. It slowed nuclear development down. Maybe I don't know. I don't know Noel well, but, but it's probably a good thing they slowed nuclear development down under those circumstances, right? I mean, if as yeah, much for as nuclear, sure. as we much have treaties, as, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, could you? I mean, if 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 it could be said that nuclear fusion uh, was slowed, it's it, it's it's if it was slowed, if it was slowed down, imagine what would happen if it wasn't slowed down. Well, we'd probably blown ourselves up by now, you know. So. I do think there is probably some form of regulation that needs to be had. Should it be the government? Well, we've already, yes, but we also know that our government can also be stifling. So I don't know. But well, we're so polarized. We're, I'm going to say we're so polarized. Two, honestly, we have a lot of old people who probably don't understand the technology in Congress, right? People who don't even really understand the internet. Yeah, yet, right, right. right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. they know Al Gore invented the internet, but that's about the extent of their knowledge, it seems to me. That he invented it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, and how well has the government regulated the internet, too? And, and should they have? All debates for policy decisions. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. But I can just. But um, I said with Max Tegmark, he's why he said six months was to answer the whole letting competition, the external competition, get past us. That's why they put a six month number on it because they figured that would make yeah. it comfortable enough for those in the Western world, I guess, to say, okay, we can pause for six months because there's no way these other companies are going to be able to pass us up within the next six months. Um, so they are they you know even Max Tegmark is un- understands that there's this 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 that's an arms race yeah. it's an arms race of of its own kind you know it's interesting um, 
Forbes came out with an article recently in the next last few days about a short story that Roald Dahl wrote in 1953. And no, this is not about the sensitivity people, right? Uh, altering his children's book uh, books. This is actually about a short story he wrote in 1953 that was more adult-oriented called The Great Automatic Grammatizer. Um, and it's about, uh, apparently, because I haven't read the story, I'm reading, I'm going to recount the summary. But the article in Forbes basically says this is a predictor of chat GPT. And it's about a writer who's not happy with his uh, writing output. So he invents a machine that will basically do the writing for him. Uses very much a statistical model like um, chat GPT, like it's described, um, like how we've described chat GPT so far. And... Um, Ends up hooking up with a businessman who, and they create this business where they go out and to famous writers and uh, ask, "Hey, we can replicate your own writing for you, and and start churning out all this new work and producing all this material." They balk at it, of course, and so they start focusing on less successful writers uh, and getting them to buy in, and people are signing contracts to do that, and they're flooding the market with all this literature. And then at the end, the, the tragic part of the story comes at the end where there's this writer who's not been so successful, and they go to him, and he stands on his principle. And is like, no, I, I want to write my own stories. I don't want a machine writing for me. And so he doesn't get the contract, and he's left basically destitute with his family uh, because he can't make any, he can't make a living anymore at his job um, because, and he wasn't willing to capitulate to the machine. Um, and it's, 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 I think it's a good, it's fascinating that, that he wrote this in 1953 because we've seen examples of this technology and literature and in science fiction movies. I'm thinking Star Trek, right? Where they have the computer. It's kind of very much like a chat GPT. Um, but so yeah. Yeah. it's Actually, here now though, it but is, it's here. It is here. In fact, I have this list of unsettling events I wrote down. And one of the unsettling events was the fact that someone actually did enlist uh, chat GPT um, to, or if not chat GPT, some sort of AI system to write a child's book, which he then proceeded to sell on Amazon. So I'm not sure what it's doing, but. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, it's, it's it was a science fiction magazine. I forget which one. They mentioned it in the article in Forbes, which we'll have in the show notes, um, where they had to stop accepting submissions because they got flooded with uh, what they knew were AI generated Who, short stories. Amazon did? No, it was uh, it was a magazine. It was a science fiction magazine. No, I'm saying this actually. Oh, the wait, wait. I'm confused. The science fiction magazine was actually getting flooded by fake stories. Stories. Oh, yeah. Well, they, are they fake? There, there are there right, stories. No, right. Non-human written, non-human written stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, it 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 goes. This start. Okay, so we're we're kind of in the danger zone right now, right, Dan? So I feel you know this is the thing we have to ask ourselves: what is the contract we have with each other as a human species, as a race. What is our social Rousseau? What's our social what, contract? What is our responsibility for each other? And then you start asking questions about how AI, AI. And I, I was thinking about the other day, you know, we've always, for a long time, we've been battling as science progresses, we've always been challenged what it means to be human, right? I mean, every time there's a new thing, a new discovery, you know, oh, we're smarter than the animals and because of this and that. And then we find, oh, my God, the animal does that. Oh, my gosh. You know, to this point, most people are like, all right, gorillas are pretty much us, you know, just a little more aggressive, can't speak. But, you know, we've kind of, you know, people who know the DNA and they're we're, we're monkeys. We're just we're, we're monkeys, you know, and for a good amount of if you're religious, you still have the trump card. Well, I've got a soul. So, hey, monkey, good luck with that. I'm going to heaven. Right. Um but this seems like just that, that thing. We've gone beyond the animal kingdom and we've created this alien now that we're comparing ourselves against. And we're comparing ourselves against metrics that we've defined ourselves as being super important. And and I'm wondering, you know, if if that's folly, you know, if we're we're kind of going down a path that's gonna make us not feel efficient sufficient. Because is the goal of a human being to be the most efficient for for 
And Dan, please uh, take a moment to explain. I'm going to use the word Moloch. So when I'm done uh, for the audience, uh, I've only heard this term recently. So this, I must have been in a dark cave because I, I'm told everybody's using this term No, it's, it's, it's to, obscure still. Yeah. I'd say it's pretty obscure still. But, but feeding the Moloch, right? And so, you know, in some respects, I feel like we might be crafting, we, we might be crafting our overlord in a weird way. And if we are making our overlord, our God, um, let's do it with some sense making um, because this God's going to be, better at most well, things than we'll ever be but does that make us diminished at all right so i don't know so I, just- I would say the moloch people the people who talk about moloch and i'm going to define it in a second would argue that ai is probably just a manifestation of moloch it's an extension of that entity right so for those of you who have not heard this term before it's um it's actually a biblical term um i think it comes from the 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 Jewish the, the Torah, right? And um, it, it describes a pagan god that where people would have to sacrifice their children to to this god Moloch. Uh, over time, uh, the term has morphed and changed. Uh, those of you who are into poetry would probably remember it from Allen Ginsberg. Berg's epic poem howl um and more recently it's it's become a term to talk about or to describe the invisible forces that are pushing us in a certain direction historically and through history right um uh, mostly neo-capitalism capitalist forces that are pushing us in a certain trajectory uh, and imprisoning us and it's interesting you know Tying Moloch into this and the technology stuff, Joda, you know, a lot of our podcast has been talking about um, this progression of humanity since the rise of the of the scientific era, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Whether we're talking about Nietzsche and uh, the death of God mm-hmm. uh, and the death of meaning or the struggle to find meaning in our world. Um and I was I was also resonating with I was reading Milan Kandera recently, uh, the art of the novel, and he's he was making the argument that if you look at the history of the novel, it starts off with Cervantes, where you have these uh, vast horizons where a person could uh, travel to in a sense of adventure. And as the novel progressed through history, it narrowed down and narrowed down, and you started to see the constraints of your existence. Um, based on society and class and now science and so forth and how we become imprisoned within all of these systems. Um, And so that's kind of what it's describing. And yeah. And so how AI is advancing is, is based on the momentum of the society it's being born into. Yeah. 100%. And we, whether or not we like it, we're a neo-capitalist society. Um, And, Unfortunately, that means that a lot of our lives and our job are, are, yeah, a lot of our lives are deeply connected to our jobs, our ability to make money uh, so that we can do things and buy houses and have meaning in our lives and be able to do things and have families. And um, this technology uh, is going to disrupt that. Oh, yeah. There are are jobs (laughs) that are going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing I wish. They, I mean, that that interview with the guy Sam, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, who ChatGPT CEO. He he did say, sort of euphemistically, jobs we lost. Um, oh, he said millions of jobs would be lost. Did he say millions? Yeah, and and, and Sam Altman. Sam, Sam Altman. Altman. It's gonna. There will be a lot. <laughs> it, it's yeah. Again, I think you brought up earlier, right? We're going to have to reevaluate what it means to have a job. We're going to have to. There's no way. I just don't see it. You know, we I know we've been saying this for years with every invention, right? This one, we're seeing it. Jobs are, are, have been lost. With, with oh, other the people I work with who've, someone told me, uh, someone I, actually works for me a uh, part-time said she lost her other part-time job as a copy editor because of chat GPT. You, you won't. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's going to happen. So we, again, it goes back to the social contract we have with each other. What is it's <laughs> How do well, we want to treat each other as a human being, you know? But before we go to that social contract contract, cause I want to get there, but I just want to highlight, like, this is not just low level copywriter, copy editor, no. uh, types of jobs. I mean, there is speculation like, um, jobs in, uh, the movie industry, for instance, like in, uh, doing special effects, it's, 
AIs might wipe a lot of those jobs out because it's going to be very easy just to text a video. Uh, you write a, a, a description of what you want to see, you know, uh, Iron Man and uh, the Incredible Hulk drinking beers at a bar and boom, it's going to create that for you. Um, so it's, and it might take away some executive positions too, right? I think we, we talked about a, a Joda a while ago about a CEO in India who was fired and they replaced it with Jack, uh, a chat GPT CEO and, uh, apparently stocks went up, right? So graphic design will be impacted <laughs> too. So it's an accounting. I'm sure accounting is going to be impacted. So I could, there's a book. Coding. There's a book written by uh, David DeKremer. I just, I just, I haven't read it. Um, I was reading an article that uh, he was being, they were talking about the book. And I'm not even sure how old the book is, but I think it's fairly recent. It's called Leadership by Algorithm. And um, I, I, I'm not, I hope I'm not going to be like making a statement about it. That's not necessarily true. But from reading the brief um, interview he had with this person, um, he's, he, I mean, he suggests that leadership will be extremely affected, um, that a lot of leadership um, uh, uh, tasks will be done driven by algorithms and AI and that leaders were going to have to figure out their place in that because certain decisions um, that they made won't I think that's the key. be made by them. And one of the quotes, and this was an interesting one because it also, oh, I just, uh, dove, dove, one, one quick thing. Well, also doves tells one thing he said, quote, we're moving into a society where people are being told by algorithms, what their taste is. And without questioning yep. too much, most people comply easily. So, you're going to find ourselves just automatically complying to these things. And so from a leadership perspective, when do you get to have your, when does your autonomy allow you to say yay or nay against these mechanisms that we're going to be increasingly leaning on and saying that's an authority. It's going to be interesting. Well, I think there's an information literacy part to that piece. Right. And so, you know, education is going to be impacted for sure. But I think yeah. one thing that education can do to step up to the plate to prepare people for this revolution that is taking place, because it is a revolution. It's an AI revolution. Feels like it. That they, we need to train people how to make sense of the AI. Uh, how does it work? And why does it work the way it does? And can you trust all the information that you're given? Because to, to, I would push back against and maybe, this isn't what he was implying, but what it sounds like that person's implying is that the AI is going to make the decisions for you. But AI doesn't necessarily have judgment yet. And judgment's still housed within us to be able to set, to weigh things and say, okay, we need to make the decision about how to respond to this data. I think AI is going to be great at helping us collect the data and uh, formatting it and digesting it, but it's still going to be up to human beings and people in leadership decision, uh, positions to make the ultimate call based on their ethics and their other the other dimensions that they're going to use to make sense of uh, the information they're getting from the are AI. Are you bots. are you coming from a? Are you coming from a? Don't worry about it. Your it still needs your human side to make these decisions. Um, perspective, or is this um, something that you think is intrinsic to um, the relationship between us and AI? Because I. I Agree, I agree and disagree with because you and I had a conversation not too long ago and we have this I have this running theory and I think you kind of were kind of you at least understood it, if not agreed, that one of the interesting things about artificial intelligence and when again I'm talking about artificial intelligence that it I'm I'm defining it as the thing that we leverage that gives us solutions to our life um, without us having to put gray matter to it. To some degree, right? So an example would be, how do I get from point A to point B? Well, historically, I might open a Thomas guide or something, and my mind will have to figure out how I get there. I don't do that anymore. I've offset that to Google Maps, right? So, and I'm happy to do that. Does Google Maps always pick the exact correct path? No, but I've relinquished all decision-making most times to that thing, because I'm assuming it knows more than I do. It, it knows where an accident might be. It might know this. It might know that. It might. Now, sometimes it's 
driven me into a dead end because it actually didn't know everything. But I'm willing to offset that. So I think we have a propensity to relinquish decision making when we think when the results are sufficient enough. And you might see that more and more, even in leadership positions. Um, yeah, just by just my just my theory. No, no, I, I think you're right there. And, you know, I think it's also important to use this as an opportunity to, to think about this idea of uh, extended intelligence, um, mm. because that's, there's a whole theory around that. And we talked about intelligence earlier, and there's this, as, as we talk about intelligence, it's also important to keep in mind that the Cartesian idea, right, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, of, the, of us just being these intellectual creatures and everything's housed in the frontal cortex and all that, uh, our decision-making is not necessarily always true. And um, we use we are tool-using creatures. We've evolved and adapted to be tool-using creatures and extending our mind outside of this cranium to the world through – you know, I had very simple, uh, as most basic cave drawings. Yeah. Right. Why did we draw pict- pictographs on caves? Well, we, people were trying to make sense of the world and tell stories about the world they were living in and archive it. Mm. And that's an ex- example of extended uh, intelligence, right? It's, it's extending it beyond the self uh, and using tools to do that. And, a phone is the same thing, or it has become in, in the instance of the smartphone, right? Because it it's able to help you offload a lot of your cognitive load into that phone so you don't have to memorize people's phone numbers anymore. You just have it in your phone. Um, so there's these subtle losses that we get too when you do that because how, you know, I used to remember, remember people's phone numbers all the time. Now I can't do it. I can't even remember my own phone number half mm-hmm. the time. Um, and so. Well, what was the other thing you mentioned? Somebody about writing something and I mean, God, I mean, you know. Well, writing is an extension. If you think about what writing is, it's a, it's a way of getting your consciousness out onto paper, right? And to discover what you're thinking. That's right. Um, the, and so, the process of writing is just as important as the end result of the writing process. Yeah. And so, so AI as a tool is a, probably just going to end – well, hopefully at its best will be an extension a tool that can extend our intelligence or extend our thinking as a tool um, to help us generate new ideas. But right. But what, what, again, what's your gather information? Yeah. Yeah. And right. I mean, that would be the, God, it gets so complicated because, (laughs) but what, like the whole thought, like, I think we were discussing where I was leveraging chat GPT to gather some data and it did a really good job of kind of, creating a set for me to leverage and my takeaway was by letting it letting it do that i walked away with not knowing the space as well as if i had actually done the work myself i didn't have as good of recall in the information it was i didn't feel as comfortable with the domain of knowledge that i was trying to research because it had done the heavy lifting and it was just presented to me and, and we're not let's not even talk about the, the 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 truthiness of what it gave me it could have been wrong it might have been how right it was who knows i'm just talking about like you said the process of actually uncovering and 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 open and developing those neural networks in your brain never occurred and so i had this very superficial understanding of the space which made it harder for me to discuss and i think I think you mentioned somebody at school or I, I can't remember what you said, but you know, I think someone noticed this, 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 this loss while you, when you leverage these tools, you, you do stop leveraging the mind in a certain way that makes us more capable. And I don't want to sound like some seven year old, like this is, uh, this is going to take that to your point, Dan, where it's a tool and we need to figure it out, but it is definitely a tool that if we lean on too hard, you might not recognize yourself in the end. Maybe that's not yeah, a bad well, thing. I think we have the advantage of having lived through kind of several revolutions in our lives uh, already, you know, getting back to that accelerated uh, technology world that we're living in, right? Yeah. Um, so we've seen now, those of us who've been alive long enough, have seen how the internet has affected us, and we've seen how smartphones have affected us, and we've seen how s- subtle ways so- social media has affected us. So mm-hmm. 
we could see there have been changes. And so we have the opportunity with AI to be a little bit more mindful. Uh, no, not even a little bit, much more mindful of the potential impact uh, it might have uh, on us. And I want to uh, go back to the idea of judgment too, right? Because you mentioned like it's going to pro- provide, well, two things before I go to judgment. I know I <laughs> jump around a lot. Joda said my planning document looked like the ramblings of a madman. But before I get to judgment, I want to talk about learning. Because learning is a practice of repetition. You're devo- de- developing schemas in your mind. Yeah. Uh, and and the schemas are just shortcuts to to information. And so if you don't go through the process of learning. Well, schemas are models, right? You, you're modeling. Yeah, they're the models. World. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're building models of the world and models of information so that you can make decisions mm-hmm. about how to inter- interact with the world. I mean, AI is basically building schemas too. For It's building a schema to predict mm-hmm. how to respond to a question that you're asking, right, based on statistics. We kind of do the same things in our minds, right? We build schemas to make predictions about if this inf- piece of information is presented to me, this is how I should respond. But in order to build those schemas, that you go through an education process, you go through a learning process, which which involves reading and ma- making notes and talking about it and having conversations and doing experiments and practicing things and building those schemas through those activities. So if you if you don't do those things, to your point, Joda, you're not going to easily be able to recall that information because you haven't ingrained it into your mind. And then the judgment piece, I think, is coming. We don't know because we know we don't know how accurate the information ChatGPT is providing all the time, or any of these AI bots. And so, you know, you're only as smart as your tool, or the tool is only as useful is only useful if you know how to use the tool. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. And so. In order to use the tool effectively, you have to have some judgment to like not say, not think, oh, just because it gave me this information with confidence, it's true. I need to go double check. If I, and I need to have the background knowledge to know how to double check that information. I'm going to be a little more cynical and I don't want to, okay. and, and yeah, just a little bit more on the tool, the tool concept. And I, I hope this isn't some sort of rabbit hole. I think it's, it, I think it's still related to exactly what you're saying. And I'm, I think that. I'm going to go so far as tools are useful as far as they provide us with something. It doesn't mean if we use it correctly, but if we subjectively think it's doing for us what we want it to do, then we'll still use it. Case in point, divining rods, right? There's no scientific evidence those things will ever get you water. But for those who use them, it is sufficient enough for them to continue using it, even though they're not really using a tool that's actually able to do any use water, right? Or for someone who perhaps uh, leverages a wrench to hammer a nail in, right? It's 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 not the tool to be using, and they're not using the wrench correctly, but it has sufficiently, and their mental model uh, was able to hammer that nail in. And so I think sufficiency, and there's a term called affordance, and it's used, and it was coined, I don't know when it was coined, actually, but affordance means... Oh, God, I hope my UX people are going to shoot me if I get this wrong. Uh, affordance is 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 what we perceive on something as what it's capable of doing, what, what, it, what it affords us, right? What it gives us capacity. It doesn't mean that you recognize the appropriate affordance or what, they, what the intended design affordance was. You might see another affordance for it. It allows me to step on it and get up to my cups that are five feet ahead, but, but it might not been designed for that. I'm going to use, I'm going to, I'm going to use a water cooler. I'll set it down in front of some of my cabinets and use yeah, it. To right, exactly. Stand on it and, and afforded you to do that. Right. So, so, and so it satisfies our thing. So, okay. So my long story point there is like the, the, the cynical part is like, you know, these, we, we allow our, we, it's a, we allow ourselves to satisfy or satisfice with certain things as long as the, the the effort versus reward is sufficient. And the reward of a mechanism, a machine telling us what to do, even if it might not be perhaps as good as most of the time as of us putting our own energy into it, it might reward us in other ways that outweighs that. And we might be satisfied with less qualitative, qualitative, qualitative qualitatively good data because it's actually 
rising something else that's important to us. One of those things you and I were talking about, it's like fundamentally, a lot of us don't like making decisions. No matter what you, whenever you give someone to make a decision, it spikes a little bit of anxiety, whether it's what kind of coffee do you want? Your anxiety goes up just a little bit. Meaning, I get the same kind every morning. <laughs> that's right. It's for you. It's like, oh, decision. I don't need the stress. Just give me the same one. Um, anyways, my point being is, you know, I, my cynic says, you know, we might be willing to take AI, even if it doesn't give us the optimal choices all the time, because of other things that we haven't quite qualified yet or identified yet as being more valuable to us. Yeah, no, I, for sure, for sure. But again, getting back to that judgment piece, you know, we have to, you have to be able to read it in a sense. Um, and so when I say reading, I'm not just deciphering words. I'm not just talking about deciphering words and syntax. I'm talking about making inferences and making judgments about what you read. So I guess actively reading it mm -hmm. and not just being a passive consumers of the information it's providing you. Totally. Because another important piece to this AI is the issue of bias. And it can we can talk about bias and these things in a good way and a bad way. Mm -hmm. Right? Um and a lot has been brought up about, you know, even in the design of the AI, of, of these AI chatbots, some will argue, well, it has kind of a left-leaning bias. And um, and others will say, well, that's no, it's more it's trying to be neutral, but can you really be neutral in this world? What does and, neutral even you know, mean, you know? Right. What does uh, what, what objective mean? Um, and so, but no matter what, the chatbots are reflective of us as human beings. We created it. It's our Frankenstein. 100%. And so it, 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 its responses are based on data it's collected from us. So yeah. it's our mirror in a sense. Um, and so not just the responses, the, the skeletal structures are themselves. The way it collects is a reflection on us as well. So everything yeah. about it. Yeah. So it's going to be, always be infused with bias and that the whole tuning process that they go through. Is, for those of you who don't know, some of the tuning process is questionable, right, ethically. Like they they open a eye um, contracted with a, a company in Africa uh, and paid people, I think, like $2 an hour to go in and tag certain codes in the data. Uh, because, you know, when you're collecting harvesting from the whole Internet, it's going to be full of racism, sexism, terrible, terrible things. And the those workers, actually, I believe, according to the New York Times, where I read this, they canceled the contract, especially when it got to uh, visual images. They had to start tagging those um, because people were emotionally scarred from looking at all that data. Oh, wow. Um, wait, wait, wait. Who, it's, the workers were emotionally scarred in Africa? From looking at the data? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're getting all the garbage in the internet and the internet as well. Isn't that interesting? So that's why when you see it on our end, our consumer end, you're seeing what has been tuned, what, you know, all the nasty stuff has been tagged and filtered out by these human workers who were being paid $2 an hour to expose themselves to some very vile things. Yeah. Um, and so I think, that, you know, so in, even in that process, bias is built in. So I think, again, judgment, being able to scrutinize what the, the bot is giving you is going to be really important. I fear for people who are not technologically savvy and they are still out there. You know, th some of us live in a bubble of, of technological sophistication. Uh, and, you know, I, there are adults out there who still don't know how to use a mouse. Right. So imagine them engaging with a chat bot and not having the sophistication, sophistication to know what it is that can pose some dangers too, because they're going to take, there's the potential that they're going to take whatever this thing says at face value. Um, and it's this literacy aspect of it is of paramount importance as this starts to proliferate throughout our society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even I was even thinking like one could even spoof a chat bot and have people type, type information. It's actually just a person back there responding, collecting data for their own per, per, personal nefarious purposes. Well, it's going to change social interactions too. Like I, I was like, 
I was talking to a librarian recently and they do chats with students and they observed that recently students had stopped saying things like thank you at the end of the chat, probably thinking that they were just interacting with some sort of bot. A bot. So now they're going to have to do this protocol. It's like, no, this is a human here. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So, hey, Dan, we all right. So we've been waxing on this for a while. And if you don't have any, if, if, if we're kind of done on this level, I'm wondering, you know, we are since making show and I'm wondering if we can start going into a little bit of like what this means for leaders, like how, what a leader can, what your thoughts are around and what our thoughts are around leadership and organizations. I mean, we, this is great information, but are there some takeaways? Um, and well, we just, before we get to the uh, practical takeaway, well, this is practical or just in general, too. just in general. I mean, yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, I do think, and I think some of the people writing about this Technology, I've, I've spoken to this as well. The the impact on leadership is really going to force us, not force us, but encourage us to even be even more human in our leadership approach. It's going to be about more about the relationship building because hopefully you can offload some of the mundane tasks that you have to do in a leadership and managerial position to these bots, which will hopefully give you more time to interact with the people uh, that you're working with. So I think that is one potential advantage to this technology is that it can free up time. And that's that's something we do need. Um, I do think another societal aspect, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, is let's rethink the 40-hour work week. If, if this is going to be so impactful on productivity, do you need to work 42 hours? If we're going to invest so much in technology disrupting our society, let's get some advantages out of it and let's give people more leisure time so that they can enjoy their lives. Um, yeah. And then I think we could talk about some practical uh, oh, no, uses I, of this I technology too. I, well, I find that what you just said to be extraordinarily practical. Um, it might a lot of this stuff might be out of the hands of some of the leaders of some organizations, like a oh, forty-hour week. Like, I mean, I, I you know, but but it is these are things organizations should be thinking about. You know, like what does it mean to have a workforce? It gets a little philosophical. But we really do need to start answering these questions because if we don't then we're all going to be service workers at some point. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it, it, you know, there, we, as human beings, we, there, there's, there's such a breadth of, of capacity and capability in of us. We want to still leverage that, you know, and you want to funnel us all down to just one, one particular sort of work path or work, you know, we need to think about work. So I, yes, it's heady, but I think what was heady 10 years ago, we have to think it practically. And I think the things you brought up are very practical or, just good. These are questions we're, we have got to start asking um, moving forward. I mean, it's, 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 it's yeah, complicated. And I, I think that getting back to the regulation part, I think that's why you do need the government to start paying attention to this. You know, they, the, our politicians have to lead the way and our business leaders have to lead the way yeah. on what, what does the future look like for us as a society? Cause we do have a social contract. That's right. Um, and ultimately, and I, I think, um, um, when we had uh, Dr. Gwendolyn Dolsky on, she talked about Aristotle and the idea of, you know, the meaning of life, right? And and what within the context of the workplace and people do derive a lot of meaning from their work and a lot of purpose and and pleasure from the work that they do. And so, if jobs and uh, are going to be disrupted. How do you how do you address that? Can we create new jobs for people? Can we? Uh, what's the new industry that's going that's going to take people's time up? Because what you don't want is people sitting around feeling like they're living a meaningless existence. Oh no, no, and especially with eight billion that's people in the world, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's a recipe for disaster. Well, I mean, it's 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 well. On one hand, it's a crime against humanity, right? I mean, you're basically torturing civilization um that process so you wouldn't yeah. you would hope a leader and, wouldn't and want that I, that would even be the state of things yeah yeah because you're taking people's joy i mean mm -hmm. that's what i from a i'm a writer right so when i think of chat gpt that that role doll story really resonates with me yeah right that, that's my first fear when i encountered chat gpt because i you know i'm publishing a short story this month with the magazine and i'm like well I get a, a great deal of enjoyment from the process of yeah. sculpting this and creating this. And yeah. 
you're you're robbing me of that. Yeah. Which robs me of my leaning and my purpose in life. And Let me ask you this it's, question. It's very powerful. Just just the this is sort of a uh, a uh, thought experiment. If you didn't have to make a dollar, like you had money, like that wasn't an issue, uh, but yet you still like to write. And there were automated machines, AI that also wrote, right? And there was a uh, Amazon out there that was a um, uh, a distributor of, of of written pieces, and it would take from humans or non humans. It just and you know and and you can download, and it's all free, right? Um, would and 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 if, if if you saw that people typically like to download the AI stories more than the human written stories, would that rob you of your joy too or would you still be writing just for would you still enjoy it or, um, you know what i'm saying is the fact that perhaps perhaps ai does a better job from a from a consumption perspective but yet people do still like to read your stuff but you're just not quite as uh effective at writing the exact thing that m- m- big audiences like to read would that suck the wind out of you or would you still enjoy writing because it's something that because you enjoy it. I, I would probably still enjoy writing. I, I'm, no, I'm sure I would still enjoy writing. It's a big part of who I am. Um, and, but I think, you know, it would frustrate me. It would frustrate me for sure. Uh, I think part of why you write is to get your work out there. And I think, you know, there's one aspect of this technology too is going to be on the publishing industry. You know, publishers should be wary too, because a lot of, this stuff's going to generate lots of content and flood the market. So it's going to be even harder for publishers to get their writers' voices out there. Um, so, yeah, that that would frustrate me. I would feel frustrated. I think also, I you know, and I think also depends on where you are age-wise. When I was younger, the idea of self-publishing, I was a little bit more open to that. Now I kind of appreciate having... Um, uh, editors or curators and publishers go, oh, I like this piece you wrote. I'm going to publish it. It feels like it's uh, gives it some validation. And it also raises the stakes for me. So whenever I get a rejection, I use that kind of as an agile moment and go, oh, I need to revise this. Or I might need to reread this. And so the process of submitting and getting rejected forces me to continually revise the story yeah. until I get it published. Um, cause each submission is kind of like a test. So I'm wondering, you know, going back to the philosophy stage, because, you know, I mean, I don't think the audience knows I play piano and I've been playing my entire life. And, um, I played in some bands when I was younger in my twenties, but for the most part, it's a personal thing. Um, it's a personal thing where I, I practice daily. I like to get better. Um, I know there's people out there better than me. I know that there are programs that can play a sonata perfectly that I will take me a year to get you mediocre at, you know, but it doesn't rob me of my joy of me personally, just enjoying playing piano. And I wonder if we as human beings have to start looking and looking back in ourselves and stop comparing ourselves to cheetahs, monkeys, computers, and just recognize that our own internal joy comes from within and, and, and just being happy with who we are. Um, and just we make sure that whatever machine or mechanism we make that becomes our overlord, uh, pun intended, no pun intended. But we make sure that it recognizes the fact that um, our joy is derived from us just having joy and not comparing it against other things. Um, I don't know. That's my philosophical rant on that. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to end this conversation, Joda. So yeah. hopefully everyone uh, enjoyed this uh, rollicking discussion about ChatGPT and uh, the nuclear holocaust that is AI. Yeah. Uh, and like, hit the like buttons, hit the subscribe button if you're still here, and uh, we'll see you again soon. See you guys later. Have fun. Mm-hmm.